Hello everyone, my name is Matt, I'm pastor here of Tri-City Church, and it's great to have you here on this Sunday. Uh, just before we get going, I'd like to make a few comments about uh, some year-end giving opportunities. Usually around this time of, of year, there are some people who are in a position to give above and beyond their regular tithes and offerings, and so there are two uh, areas where we want to direct your attention. These are the same as last year because uh, they, are, they are still great opportunities to give and effective, we think. Uh, the first is our Tri-City Building Fund. Um, as you may know, we took over this building about a year and a half ago, and there was an existing mortgage on the building when we took it over. We did a bit of renovations, and so there is a mortgage existing on this building of uh, just under $2 million. Uh, this is a mortgage that we are, we have a, a budget line for it. We're paying it off as you do any mortgage, uh, you know, normally. Uh, however, the sooner that we pay it off, uh, the better because it will give us, we think, better opportunities to take advantage of whatever new things God would have for us as a church. So we want to be a church that's planting churches and sending out new ministries, perhaps doing other renovations or building projects. And so to give towards the Tri-City Building Fund means that we are better prepared for future ministry opportunities. So if you want more information about that, if you're interested more in the finances and that sort of thing, please just email the office. We have a budget that we'd be happy uh, to make clear for you. Uh, the second thing is a local ministry, Hope for Freedom. Uh, this is a ministry that we supported last year also because they do great work, uh, primarily around addiction recovery. But if you remember, uh, if you were here in the fall, there was something called the Cold Weather Map Program uh, that was a partnership with the churches in the Tri-City area, uh, caring for those, providing shelter for those who are homeless, and they also are involved in that. And so this is a great ministry, Christian organization seeking to bring the gospel into addiction recovery and those in times of need. And so uh, last year we were able to give them a sizable check towards their ministry, and we would love to do that again. And so next week, actually, uh, Phil Thiessen, who's part of our church, he's going to come and give us a few more details about Hope for Freedom, but I want to put both of these uh, things before you. If you're interested in giving towards either of these ministries, uh, you just have to designate it on your giving envelope, uh, those two funds, and the money will go there. So you're in giving. Uh, that, is, that is that. The next bit of our time will be in the Word of God, like it is each Sunday. Uh, we are in a series looking at the first family of Christmas, and we are looking today at uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. I would like to pray for a moment, and then we will get in to see what God has for us. Lord God, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for the Christmas season. Thank you, Lord, that uh, it's a time when there is great celebration around us and uh, many reasons to celebrate, but we thank you most of all, Lord, that uh, you have given us the greatest reason to celebrate. And Lord, I pray that uh, we as a church, those who call Tri-City home, Lord, that we would see it as such a great opportunity and joy to share the hope of Christmas with those around us. I pray, Lord, as those invitations are handed out, that people would, would come here on Christmas Eve to hear the Christmas story, and Lord, that uh, you would use that uh, to save many. I thank you also, Lord, that we get a chance right now uh, to turn our attention to your word. I pray, God, as we look at uh, Mary and this, uh, this moment in her life where there was this unexpected interruption of, of grace, but uh, just a difficult thing for her, Lord, I pray that you would uh, inform us as well, Lord, that we would have a greater understanding of what it means to be people of faith and to have peace in difficult circumstances. So I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, we are going to look at Mary, uh, the part where the angel proclaims to Mary the, uh, the coming birth of Jesus is found in Luke uh, 1, verses 26 to 38. And as I thought about mothers, it, it occurred to me that uh, something sort of obvious is that, you know, in a family where there is a mom, uh, they tend to be kind of the nucleus of that family. 
Uh, moms tend to be the ones that, that give you a shoulder to cry on, those um, that sort of gather you know, everyone to be warm and well-fed. Uh, they're the ones that care whether your hair is combed, your teeth are brushed. I mean, dads do that too, but it's fairly inconsistent, right? There's a lot more cavities when dads are in charge. The truth of the matter is that moms very often are the emotional glue of the family, and that means that moms have a high calling, that there's, there's overwhelming expectation when you are a mother. In any home where a mom exists, there is this, this cry that you hear fairly often, and it sounds like this. Mom, I need something. Mom, I can't find anything to wear. Mom, I can't find anything to eat. Mom, I'm bleeding. Mom, I... Whenever you hear this call, it means one thing. Mom, whatever you're doing, stop doing it and come here right now because I need help. I need you, Mom. That's what it means to be a mother. It is overwhelming, especially when the call to motherhood is unexpected. Especially when it's a call for the first time. And especially when the new mother-to-be is only a girl herself. And that's, of course, one of the central parts of the Christmas story. That, that Mary is the unexpected mother of Jesus. Mary, now we have this picture of her as being, you know, kind of a glowing and snuggling Jesus in a bale of hay. It's all warm and golden and, and fantastic. And it may very well have been that way. But the truth of the matter is that this call to motherhood for Mary was also a huge upheaval in her life. Something totally unexpected, something totally overwhelming. And yet what we're going to see in our text is that she, she entered into it with an amazing degree of peace and joy even. And so what we see in Mary is that her story is not just the Christmas story, it actually is the story of everyone who is living a life of faith. Because we also have interruptions. And in her example, we can see the way in which we can enter into those interruptions with peace, trusting in our Heavenly Father. So that's the framework for our, our text. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. This is where uh, the angel Gabriel comes and basically says, Mary, you are, you are going to have a child. Here's God's word to us this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am, a, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amazing scene. One that is man, so much for us to dig into. We're going to... We're going to tackle it in two main parts, both having to do with a life of faith. And so we're going to see here that a life of faith is a life interrupted, 
but also a life of faith is a life of peace. So we'll begin with the interruption. We see it uh, really clearly right at the beginning. Mary's just kind of doing whatever she was doing, and an angel appears. Here's verse 26. Again, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the context given here uh, shows actually a lot of continuity between last week's text and this week's text. It's the same angel, Gabriel. Gabriel came and proclaimed to Zechariah, hey, your, your wife is going to have a child. The same angel now comes to Mary. Also, it's in the same region. It's in Galilee, the same kind of area. It's also the same family. See that Mary and Elizabeth, they were relatives. So there's a lot of continuity, but also some differences. Uh, for one thing, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were, they were people of some prominence in their, in their village, in their area. He was a priest. They had ministry there. They were well-respected. They lived kind of closer to Jerusalem. It was a bigger city center. Uh, Mary is different. Mary really is a nobody from nowhere. In fact, if you've ever driven along kind of a country road and there is a city that's, that's sort of, a, you can see it off in the distance, just a little village. It's like a broken down kind of gas station and you turn for a minute to change the radio station and you go by it and you realize you pass the town. That's like Nazareth. Okay, that's the, the smallness of Ma Nazareth, the insignificance of Nazareth. It was a nowhere place. And, and Mary then was not significant in any way according to the world. She would have been very young, like 12 or 13. She would have most likely been illiterate. She was already engaged to be married, which was typical. Uh, she would have been legally kind of betrothed to Joseph. Uh, they would have been bound to each other, but they wouldn't have been living together or sleeping together yet. Uh, Mary had in her mind, her expectation for her life was a good, simple country life. She would marry Joseph. They would have some kids. It would be great. It would be the same life as her mother lived and her grandmother. And then an angel shows up and everything changes. Something very dramatic and completely unexpected happens. The angel, you can just imagine her, I don't know, maybe she was nodding off to sleep or something and the angel appears and it's overwhelming, not just because he appears, but because of what he says. Here's what he said. He says, greetings. Verse 28, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But of course, Mary, she, is, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now these are weighty words, like amazing words, words that have massive implications for all of humanity. But I want to think for a moment about what they would have meant for Mary. I mean, personally, for her. If you look at the way she's described, it's very uh, interesting. It says that, it says, Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. Two times she is called favored. And that word in the Greek uh, just means grace. So it could have said, uh, Oh, graced one, the, the Lord is with you. You found grace with God. So the intention of the angel, the, the clear message is, Mary, God is doing something good in your life. God is doing something benevolent and and it's a blessing. This is a good thing. You, you're favored by God. Now, it seems pretty straightforward, but it's important that we pause here for a moment because this description of Mary has been uh, misinterpreted. Uh, the Catholic Church has seen here a description of Mary uh, as such, rather than her being just a recipient of grace, uh, they see her then as a repository of grace, as a source of grace for the people of God. 
And the reason they came to that uh, misunderstanding is because where it says there that she is favored, in the Latin translation of the Bible, way back hundreds of years ago, it's called the Vulgate, uh, they translated that, that she was full of grace. That's a translation that is not accurate to what the Greek text says. Even Catholic scholars will admit that that's too strong, that she is full of grace. Because though this language was there, the Catholic Church developed a whole theology around Mary that said that she is someone to look to for help and for grace rather than just Jesus. In fact, it was in 1854 that the Catholic Church, Pope Pius IX, he declared what is now known as the, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Here's what he said. He said, from the first moment of her conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary was, by the singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of mankind, kept free from stain of original sin. So you see there the distortion. She is not simply a recipient of grace, as everyone who comes to faith, all of us in our sin, made clean by the, by the blood of Jesus, by his work on the cross. It's not just that. They push it further to say that she, she never had original sin. And that's why they began to speak about Mary as holy. And you see this in the, the sort of common prayer. This is a prayer that would be common for the, those in the Catholic faith. Hail Mary, full of grace. They would say, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So you see there, the, the focus is in time of need, in issues of life and death. It's to Mary that we should pray. It's to Mary that we should look for help. But the problem with that is that the, the text itself does not give us that impression at all. In fact, it's, it's really just the opposite. The focus is not on her, but on her son. See, she is never called holy. But it says in verse 35, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Mary received undeserved blessing from God, grace from God, a real blessing for her just as everyone who comes to faith, but she is not the one who then has the grace to bestow on others. In fact, the whole emphasis of the text is on her son. Look at verses 32 and 33. It says that he will be great, he will be called son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The focus clearly is on what Jesus will do for humanity. And, and if we're to ask ourselves, what is it that Mary would want for, for humanity? She would want for us to find the same hope that she had in God himself. In fact, Philip Ryken, uh, commentating on this passage, he says this, the way Mary helps us is not by giving grace, but by showing that God can give us the same kind of grace that she received. That's the encouragement. That, that's the clarity that we need to have and understanding who Mary is and her instruction for us is that, is that the source of her hope and grace was her, eventually her son as she would see him grow to be uh, the Messiah. So that's clear, I think. Hopefully it's clear for you in the text, but there is still a remaining tension. And the remaining tension is, is this. If, if this is a scene where God is saying to Mary, look, I am bestowing favor and grace upon you, we can't get away from the fact that all of this grace meant for Mary a very difficult life. Like this was not a call to, to sort of uh, rainbows and kittens. This was a very, very difficult situation for her. And she would have known that. Her whole future was all of a sudden uncertain. She had to be asking the questions, you know, is Joseph still going to marry me? Is anyone in my village going to still 
maintain relationship with me? Will I be cast out? Will I have to try to raise this child on my own? This was a massive interruption in Mary's life, and we have to make the connection between the grace of God bringing interruption into her life. I don't think it's difficult, though, for us to, um, to empathize with her or to connect with this because each of us is living a life of interruption, aren't we? I mean, each of us is grappling with some aspect of our life that is not what we thought it would be. We're, we're thinking to ourselves, man, this is, this is not the way it, it, I thought it would be or the way it should be, and yet there are circumstances in our lives that mean that we are reeling from the interruption. This is what it means to live life on this earth. I was reminded of this uh, just the other day. Uh, my wife Dawn and I, we were watching a movie. Uh, it's, a, it's a great movie. It's called Breathe. Uh, it's a story of a man named Robin Cavendish. Uh, he was a tea merchant back in the 1950s. And uh, he was from the UK, obviously, where they need a lot of tea. And uh, the story begins with him meeting uh, his, this young woman. They fall in love. They, they get married. He takes her on his journeys to Africa, where he is finding tea to ship back to the UK. And they're about to have their first child, all seems well, and then all of a sudden, one evening, Robin Cavendish, he, he collapses on the ground. They rush him to the hospital there, he, he's paralyzed from the neck down, and they put him on a ventilator, and they diagnose him with polio. His whole life changes in an instant. And as the story continues, we see the, the effects of this interruption. They're, they finally make it back to England, where the, the only reality for his life is that he's going to be in a hospital bed on a ventilator until he dies. And he slips into a very serious depression. When uh, his wife gives birth to their son, he, he's not interested in seeing their child. He's, he's despondent. There's a, a scene where he, he finally kind of beckons his, his wife over to him with his, with his head. She's there to kind of cheer him up. She comes all the time and, and he just whispers to her, kind of with the sound of the ventilator in the background. He just says, you need to let me die. There's nothing left for me here. I'm of, I'm of no use to anyone. Now, I have to tell you that the movie is actually quite uh, inspiring. Uh, he does amazing things, really, as a disabled man for the disabled community. It's, it's really a fantastic story. But that moment is one that I think we know, maybe not to that depth of despair, but every one of us has interruptions, big or small, that bring us to a point of intense frustration and sometimes despair trying to reconcile the life that we thought we were going to live with the reality of our life. And if we're not a person of faith, then we simply chalk it up to the random nature of the universe. Well, this is just a thing that happened, and I have to figure out how to live through it, how to find the strength in myself or in the people around me. For Christians, though, we believe in a God who is sovereign, which, which means that everything in our lives comes through the sovereign hand of God, which is comforting, but also sometimes makes these interruptions even more difficult to swallow because we have in our mind the idea that if God is all-powerful, which he is, and all-loving, which he is, then he will use all of those resources to bring about the, the completion of all of our plans, right? Isn't that what God should do? That I have great plans for my life, and so I'm praying about them, and God's going to make them happen, and then something different happens, and we're, we're thrown for a loop, right? We have to we're brought face to face with the reality that God's plans are not our plans. That his plans are different and, and better. See, we want in our life immediate success, but God wants for us to grow in good character. 
We want the immediate uh, comforts of this world, the, the, the pleasures and happiness of this world. And God wants for us to find our, our hope and our joy and comfort in him. We want a life of greatness. And God wants for us to recognize the greatness of his son. So we know theologically, like theoretically, that this is true. And yet, interruptions, they are never theoretical. They're never, they're never just something out there. There's something that happened to us right now, very practically, which means that they're all, we're always caught off guard. We're always like, well, I knew that life wouldn't be exactly the way I thought, but I didn't think this would happen. It sends us reeling and really, it mean, makes it difficult for us to live a life of faith with peace, but with Mary. With Mary, I mean, this was a very sudden and dramatic interruption in life, and yet, and yet we see in her a, a breathtaking response of faith and peace. I mean, her life was turned upside down, and yet she responds with a declaration that, that can only be described as, as faith-filled, as peaceful, as joyful. So I want to turn our attention now. We've seen the life of interruption, recognized it in Mary's life, and I think in our own life, but now look and see the life of peace that Mary shows us. Uh, I wanna, what I want to do is jump to the bottom, just to the last verse in our text where she has this amazing statement of, of faith and then backtrack and see how she got there. So here is Mary's statement. Remember, uh, she's a young girl. She was probably just sitting there thinking about what she would do the next day or later on in the day. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. The angel says, you are going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit you're going to be mother to the Son of God, that this is all by God's hand and by God's favor. And here is her response. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. I mean, have you ever heard a more faith-filled statement than that? Have there ever been words that are, that are more packed with conviction and trust in who God is? I mean, these words, they rival the words of Jesus himself, who says in the garden, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. These words put to shame all of the great men of faith in the Old Testament. I mean, just think about Moses. When God comes to Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of slavery. What's Moses' response? It's not this. His response is, ah, Lord, I don't, I don't talk super great. You know, like I, I stutter a bit. There, there's probably someone else who could do a better job. He's hesitant. He's reluctant. What about Gideon? God comes to Gideon. The time of Judges says, I want you to liberate my people. Gideon says, Lord, I'm the weakest man of the weakest tribe. There's got to be someone better that you could use. He's fearful. He's doubting. What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah, God comes to him and says, you're going to be my prophet. And Jeremiah's response is, I'm kind of young. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm very young and inexperienced. There's got to be someone better. Even Zechariah. Mary's relative, who's a priest of God, when the angel comes to him and says, look, your wife is going to have a child in her old age. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be fantastic. His response is, how can I believe you? How can I believe this is true? This is too much. All of these men who have, who have faith to a degree, but when God interrupts their life and, and gives them a task that is difficult, they all respond with hesitancy, but not Mary. Mary, her response is, is one of conviction. In fact, you see even in the tone of it, there's a real, there's even a joy there because the word that she uses is behold. 
And behold means like, uh, behold, look, take note. It's, it's what the angels always say when they come to talk to him. Behold, there's good news coming. Mary has an attitude of, of peace and even there's a tinge of joy there in this very, very difficult time. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves, how do we explain this? How do we understand Mary's response? And more than that, how can we be instructed in our own interrupted life to have a response, to have an attitude of peace in the way that Mary does? So that's what we're, we're going to do. We're going to ask that question, how does Mary have peace? And I want to direct us to three things that we see in the text about Mary that have led her to this, this statement of peace. The first thing we see in her is that she has a humble heart. See, when someone is humble, it means that they see themselves and they see God in the right perspective. They see, uh, they see themselves and God from an objective point of view. Because objectively speaking, we can see that God is, is great God is wise, God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, and that he is the creator, and we are dependent. That our wisdom has limitations, our strength has limitations. We can see this objectively, but the challenge is we, that's not usually how we see ourselves. We usually see ourselves from a subjective point of view. We tend to think that we are very wise, and that if people just listened to us, they would see how wise we are. All of our thoughts loom large in our mind, and so we loom large in the vision of our life. Uh, in fact, here's just an illustration of this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, David did a bit of an object lesson here. I thought it went really well, so we're going to try one out here as well. I want you to just take your hand. You can do it right now and put it in front of your face. What you will notice is that your hand is very large. It seems massive. In fact, you can squish my head. I can squish yours, right? From this point of view, man, my hand seems big and powerful, and yet we all know that's not the case. But yet that's how we see ourselves, right? We, we think to ourselves, man, that's such a great thought that I had, right? I'm going to just express it. And, that, and if people disagree with us, it's hard to believe. Really? I don't think you understood me because I'm really quite smart. Let me just explain to you. And when God does something that's different in our lives, we, we pray in this way, Lord, I, I don't know if you know, I was really hoping for this to happen because here's why this is a great plan for my life. We have difficulty accepting correction, or instruction from anyone else, even from God. But Mary didn't have that problem. Mary says this of herself in verse 38. She says, I am a servant of the Lord. She sees herself the right way. She doesn't think, think low of herself. She thinks rightly of herself. She is a servant of her master, of God whose wisdom is perfect and love is perfect. And so that means that she rightly sees herself as the receiver of life plans from God. And so she accepts it in light of his good character, in light of his power. And she recognizes who she is in relationship to him. And so my question, in light of this response from Mary is, is what about you? What about us? How do we feel when there are interruptions in our life? Do we see them as undeserved hardship? Are we frustrated greatly because God is, is messing with what the perfect plan we had for our day or our, our year? Do we recognize that we have inherent limitations as simply being a human being, that there are things we can't know, ideas that we have that are not great, that we are fallible? And do we see that in, in the right perspective, the right point of view of God himself, almighty creator, loving God, that's the difference between a heart of pride, one that is full of ourselves, or a heart of humility, one that is full of 
of the riches of God. And for Mary, that brings a peace in this very, very difficult situation because she trusts God that he's bringing this into her life. The humility, though, is not a mindless humility. That's the second thing that we see here. She, she has a humble heart, but it's not, she's not a mindless drone. We see in her that she is very, very thoughtful. And there's a couple reasons why, uh, why I think this. Look in verse 29. As the angel first proclaims to her what's going to happen, here's what it says about Mary. It says she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, the verb there is, is, gives the idea that it's a continual action. So Mary is continually trying to discern. She's trying to figure out what the words of the angel, how they are favor for her. The angel comes and says, look, you're favored by God. He begins to describe all the things that are happening and notice the presence of mind. She's a 12 or 13-year-old girl. An angel of the Lord just appeared. She doesn't hyperventilate. She doesn't scream. She's not like running around. She's not weeping. She, none of that. She's focused. She's, trying to, she's listening to what the angel said. And she's trying to figure out how, what kind of greeting is this? How is it that this is actually good for me? And this pondering, this thoughtfulness leads to a very reasonable question. The question is found in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, Look, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's taking in all this majestic language and, and she comes to the point in her thinking where she's like, wait a second, there's a missing piece here. Uh, I have never been with a man. So how is it that I'm going to have a baby? And the, the angel seems to think this is a very good question and he responds both with greater detail and also with greater encouragement. Look, you'll find it in verse 35. The angel answered her then, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, there's still mystery in that answer in terms of what it means that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. But what it points her to is something that she knows well, which is the power of God. See, as the Holy Spirit will overshadow her, there are parts in Scripture we see that happening. For example, at the time of creation, it could be said that the Holy Spirit overshadowed the waters at the time of creation. And that of the tabernacle, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed the tabernacle in, in a pillar of fire, in a pillar of cloud. And that the Holy Spirit overshadows the heart of every unbeliever to bring them to the point of faith. What's being pointed to here is the fact that God is a God of power. God is a God of miracles. And Mary, what's going to happen in your life is a miracle by the Spirit of God. And so she is given greater detail. Of course not, we can't understand all of that. This is, this is the doctrine of the incarnation, stated plainly, and yet there's, there's massive mystery here. But it's not complete mystery. We know the source of the power. It's God himself, the one who brings the dead to life, the one who is the origin of life. And so in that, there is help for Mary. There's detail given. But it's not just detail that the angel gives. It's also encouragement in the form of a sign. Verse 36, the angel continues, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so here we have what I think would have been really, really encouraging for Mary. To know, like when the angel mentioned Elizabeth, that's someone she knows well. She knows that Elizabeth all her life has been heartbroken that she doesn't have a child and she also knows that she's way past the age of childbirth and, and yet the angel is saying she's already pregnant. She's been pregnant for six months. It's evidence that the impossible is possible with God. 
And you can just imagine Mary thinking that, what? I can go and see Elizabeth. And when she would, she would see her great with child and it would be confirming. It's such a gracious thing for God to encourage her in this way. So what we see with Mary is that she thinks deeply about the situation. She questions genuinely from a heart of faith, which is different than Zechariah. Zechariah questioned from a heart of doubt, right? He couldn't believe what was happening. Mary says, I believe, but I'm, I'm confused. And that's very true for most people who are living a life of faith. That there'll be things in our life, things in the word of God even, that will come to and we'll say, God, I, I believe you, I believe what you're doing, I know you're present, but I don't, this part, I don't get it. I, I'm unclear, Lord, would you help me? Those who live a life of faith will have many questions and we will ask them from a heart that is full of faith and a mind that is engaged. And God will respond through his word and through the ministry of the spirit so that we will have greater clarity. And most often it will bring us to a further point of conviction, which is what happens with Mary. She's thinking deeply, she's wrestling, she's receiving from God. And the third thing we see is that she is submissive in her trust in God's word. This comes at the last part of her statement there. She says simply, let it be to me according to your word. I trust you. This isn't naive optimism, I don't think. This isn't like a candy-coated faith that just says, well, I'm gonna just trust God and everything's gonna be great. Because clearly it was not gonna be great. It's not gonna be easy, right? She knew that she was gonna have to very soon live in a village where she would be showing and that people would, would recognize that she's with child. She knew that very likely this would mean that Joseph would not marry her or accuse her of adultery. Very likely it would mean that the the village would cast her out, see her as as a sinner, as an unwed mother. And there's a very good chance that she would have to raise this child on her own. And yet she says, let it be to me according to your word. How does she say those words with such With such peace. Well, it's because she doesn't just trust the word. She trusts the author of the word. See, God is the one who sent the angel. The angel is speaking the word of God. And so Mary, in saying, let it be to me according to your word, is saying, God, I I trust you. I trust your power and your love in my life. I trust your goodness that if you say that this is going to be favor in my life, that I believe you. I trust you. Do what you are going to do in my life because it's to you I look for my hope and for my peace. I think Mary was doing what we all do naturally. And that is to to kind of think about the details of our life and then try to see how that's going to equal what we're hoping for. For example, we we hope for a a peaceful life or a good life. And so we're always wrestling. We're always, I think of it like an equation. You you might not think of it this way, but I want to give you an illustration of how I think the the process of our mind, especially for those of us of faith, how we work. So uh, here is the the example of of an equation, a math equation of uh, not great difficulty. Um, here in an equation, the way equation works is that there's an equal sign in the middle and the two sides, for, the, for it to be solved, for it to be true, and they need to be equal, right? So obviously, on the one hand, we have three times seven. The variable, the unknown there is n. Uh, to, for this to be solved, that n has to be 21, right? That, that's true. That equation has been solved. I think the way that we, um, we live our lives is that we have this constant equation going on in things big and small. So for example, if the weekend is coming up, I might think to myself, I want this to be a fun weekend. And so this is the equation that we have in our brain. The weekend's coming, I want it to be fun. 
And so then on the first side of the equation, we input certain things that are going to equal fun. So what do I want to do? I want to watch a Christmas movie. I want to play soccer. And I want to come to church. Because it's super fun, right? You guys are having fun? Okay. So these things are present there, but this isn't totally accurate because there are, of course, variables for each of these things. And in a math equation, they are represented by letters, right? Unknowns. We're not sure. So I want to watch a Christmas movie, but I don't know. Maybe my family doesn't want to watch what I want to watch. I want to watch Home Alone because it's awesome. They want to watch Prancer, which is dumb, (laughs) right? So then I think to myself, boy, wait a second. I have to recalculate. That doesn't seem as fun as I thought. I might have to change up my plans or I want to play soccer and have fun, but we lose. And then I feel horrible and that's not fun either. So in our lives, there are constant variables that we are always changing and adding new things in because we want to solve for our desired outcome. Whether a fun weekend or in our life, I would say our desired outcome is to have some sense of peace. That we want a life where we wake up in the morning, we can take a breath and we're at peace with it. Where we're content where there's some measure of joy and happiness and and contentment in life. And so that means that we are always trying to calculate out the equation of our life. And if we're young, it means that we have big plans for our life. Now, this may not be everyone's life, but statistically speaking, these things tend to be part of what a life looks like. People are working towards. First, you want to graduate from high school, then get some sort of degree or training or something, maybe hoping to get married, have kids, and then have a career. This, is, this tends to be what we're hoping for. So we're working towards these things. But notice, of course, there's huge variables here because you're planning out your life for the next 10 years, but you don't know how it's actually going to go. For example, instead of getting married, you may get dumped. <laughs> and then there's more variables that come into play, right? Not just, man, am I, am I ever going to get married? I, I, now all of a sudden I feel unwanted. I feel rejected. There's, it's very difficult to solve that equation for peace. And then, of course, you wanted to have kids, but maybe now maybe you'll never have kids, which is a huge challenge because that was one of the main things. Man, you just, that was what you hoped for. That would be part of your life. And maybe beyond that, the career that you thought you had, now all of a sudden you lose that job. And so you're wondering, Lord, how is it that this life is, can be solved for peace? Lord, with all the variables, with all the unexpected turns and interruptions, Lord, this, when we see our lives this way, there's an anxiety that grows in us. Now I want you to think of Mary's life. See, Mary also, she was, she was hoping for a life of peace, a life that she could be content with, and that probably looked something like this, right? She knew she was going to marry Joseph, have kids, and make a good life in, in Nazareth. That was, that was normal. That was expected. That was familiar. And yet when the angel came, this is what she ended up with, to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, to give birth to a divine child out of wedlock, and to parent the Messiah, the variability there, I, I found finally on my computer keyboard the symbol for infinity, which was hard to find because, because I think that's what has to be factored in. How do you calculate how difficult it will be to be a mother to the Son of God? How do you calculate all the variables that are going to come with parenting the Messiah, giving birth to a divine child? All of that is incredibly overwhelming. There's no way that you could sit there and work it out and solve for peace, and yet... And yet Mary, in her statement, seems very peaceful. She seems almost almost joyful. How did she do it? She did it not by focusing on the variables of her life, but remembering the constant of her life. And the constant of her life is one that was declared to her two times by the angel, and that is God's favor. 
See, when you input God's favor into that side of the equation, you can solve for peace. Because God's favor means that, that his infinite power, his infinite love, his commitment to her, which has been made evident to the angel, all of that means that even in the impossible, difficult situations that she can't figure out, she can believe that God will be at work and that it will work out for our good. The same is true for us, as it was for Mary. See, in our life, in our life we want to solve it for peace, and yet in our life we, we don't know the circumstances that are there. We can't account for all of the difficulties, all the turmoil. But there is an overarching constant, one that is evident in this passage, the constant in our lives. If we have a life of faith, is God's favor, that God is for us, that God has blessed us. And if you're unclear about that, just think about what we're reading. Mary's life was interrupted for our sake so that Jesus would come into the world and live a life that we couldn't possibly live, a sinless life, so that then he could go to the cross and die on our behalf to take the penalty of sin upon himself. The love of God, the grace of God for everyone here is evident in the story of this young girl who was, whose life was interrupted and yet believed that God was still at work. See, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I'm not sure what the equation of your life looks like today. There may be some things on one side of the equation that are totally unexpected, that, that are overwhelming for a whole bunch of reasons. So my question to you, if you find yourself in that place, if there's, ling if there's this lingering sense of anxiety and unrest in your life, I need to ask you, do you know the Lord? Do you have the constant of God's favor in your life? Do you believe and know that, that God loves you, that the Christmas story is about him evidencing that, him demonstrating his love and sending Jesus for you? And if you do have faith, have you forgotten to factor in the constant of God's favor in your life? Have you spent all your time trying to wrestle with the variables and, and it's left you with this pit in your stomach because they just, they never work out? What we see here with Mary is, is that when we factor in God's love, God's favor, that our lives will always solve for peace because with God's favor comes life eternal. It, it comes a love that is both sacrificial and intimate and caring. We see it in the story, the whole Christmas story. We see it in this moment where God is bringing into the world his son for our sake. My hope for us today is that we would be encouraged again, that this would filter through our minds and that as we look at our lives, as we go through our week, that we would be reminded time and again of the words of the angel that we are favored, like Mary, that, that God's favor is upon us. And I also hope and pray that these words of Mary, I'm going to end with them, would also be the words that spring up from our heart. Let me read her words one more time. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. May that be true of all of us. May that spring up naturally in our heart when we are mindful of God's favor and blessing in our life. Let's pray together. Lord God, I do thank you for this text. I thank you, God, for Mary. Lord, an amazing woman of faith, God. I thank you so much for her, God. I pray, Lord, that we would be greatly encouraged. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are struggling with, with a life right now that has so many variables that we just can't compute, Lord. I pray that you would help us to remember that your favor is upon us in Christ. 
And Lord, that because of that, there is always a peace to be had. Lord, I pray that, that we would remember your, your power and your love as evidenced, as shown here in the work of, of your spirit. And I pray, God, that you would help us uh, to, to not lose hope, but to return continually to the foot of the cross and to, and to remember and be blessed in Christ. And Lord, I pray especially, Lord, for those of us who are really struggling, uh, God, I pray that uh, we would feel your presence today. Lord, we thank you for the Christmas story. Lord, because it is one of hope, not impersonal, but one that is very, very personal, Lord, for each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.